0: This is Dan Schaefer, producer of the Alliance Party After Dark podcast. Welcome to the podcast. This podcast was released on the evening of Sunday, March 14, 2021. Happy St. Paddy's Day this week. We at the Alliance Party hope that your St. Paddy's Day celebrations will be filled with joy as we celebrate our Irish heritage in this country. We had a big hole in our lineup this week, so I thought it would be interesting to revisit a prior episode where Greg, our podcast host, got together with Michael Berger, our prior National Vice Chair, Tim Cotton, our National Political Director, and yours truly to discuss the results of the most recent election. We recorded that podcast on Sunday, November 8th, shortly after it became clear who won the presidential election. This was prior to the maddening Stop the Steal campaign, the January 6th insurrection, and the inauguration of our new president. In terms of linear time, it wasn't all that long ago, just four months, but in a sense it was a lifetime ago. So I thought it would be interesting to go back and revisit that special moment in time to remember what was going on in the national scene as well as in the Alliance Party. Since that time, Jim Rex, our national chair, stepped down and Darcy Richardson stepped up to fill that role. Also, Michael Berger stepped aside to be replaced with our current vice chair, Jonathan Etheridge so sit back take a breath and listen in on a bit of history of both our nation and the alliance party
1: hello and welcome to the alliance party after dark a podcast for the politically aware brought to you by the alliance party content for this episode was recorded sunday november 8th 2020 and a good evening to you i'm greg from philadelphia your host for today's podcast along with dan Schaefer, our producer We'll be talking with Michael Berger, one of the two Alliance Party's Vice Chairs, and Tim Cotton, the Alliance Party's National Political Director. Today's topic, well, (laughs) how can we avoid talking about the election? Uh, We'll talk about how the Alliance Party performed in this election. Besides Rocky De La Fuente and Darcy Richardson at the top of the ticket, there were a number of down-ballot races in South Carolina, Minnesota, and the state of Washington. So we'll talk briefly about the Alliance Party's performance in the election before moving on to the overall election results. Regarding the overall election, where did we end up as a nation? It's interesting that Republicans overall performed well, except at the top of the ticket. Was this a repudiation of the Trump form of Republicanism? And if that's the case, how might the Republicans rebuild themselves after Trump? And given Trump's extremely unorthodox behavior while in office, you'd think that it wouldn't be much of a contest between him and Biden, but it was extremely close. That being the case, what does this say about the Democratic Party? Are both parties out of touch with the real America? It begs the question as to whether America is ready for third party insurgents. Is this even possible given all the barriers to entry that the duopoly has erected over the years? And could disenfranchised politicians be ready to help third parties make their stand in the coming years? And perhaps you can touch on the topic of polling. This is the second presidential cycle where not just a few but all of the polling companies were completely wrong. Prior to this election, It might have been tempting to look at 2016 as an aberration, fluke, outlier in the polling process, but now it's clear that there is something fundamentally wrong. So as we head into the next election cycle, we could be flying blind without accurate polling information. One is certainly tempted to defund the polling companies, but what do we do then? And finally, we can discuss some thoughts on the next election cycle in 2022. The next campaign seems to begin the day after the election, so it's not too soon to start a discussion about the Alliance Party strategies going into 2022. Joining me now is Dan Schaefer, our producer. Hey, Dan.
0: Hey, Greg. How's it going? It's it's nice to be here. And, uh, you know, I survived this past week without much sleep, I have to admit. And I'm looking forward to the calm after the storm. So maybe I can catch up on some sleep.
1: <laughs> and Michael Berger, one of the Alliance Party's vice chairs. Hello and welcome back to Alliance Party After Dark. Thank you for
2: having me on again. Great to be here.
1: And finally, we have the Alliance Party's National Political Director, Tim Cotton. Tim, welcome back to the Alliance Party after dark as well.
3: Thank you. It's great to be here.
1: Gentlemen, let's get started. Tim, can you give us a brief rundown on how the Alliance Party performed during the past election? How do we do? How do those down ballot races go? What lessons have we learned? I'd love to hear your thoughts about our approach and whether we were able to pierce the public consciousness this cycle.
3: Sure, I'd love to. Uh, We had seven down-ballot candidates. We started with many more. um, But one of the lessons of 2020 as as we look back as political scientists will always be is to look at it through the lens of COVID-19. Many things made it harder to do the things that you normally would do as a third party. the duopoly would use that to keep people off the ballot. So we started out with a large number of candidates, but the hurdles got very tough. So the seven that remained, um, you know, were able to overcome. So they just being on the ballot was a victory for them. When you look at that, um, in South Carolina, we, we did some good numbers. In there, we had we had a Sarah Work who ran for the state senate, and she got um, almost sixteen percent of the vote. And uh, when I look at these double digit numbers that are down ballot, uh, um, the third parties entirely in the presidential race, every single one of them, independents third parties totaled 1.7% of the vote. So when you look at what you were able to do down ballot at 16% for Sarah, um, Jackie Todd in the Senate, the, the House in South Carolina did uh, almost 19. Michael Childs did 15, um, uh, Brad Jane, who was in a two-way race was able to get nearly 3%, which when you really look at that in a three-way race in this climate where 1.7% to pull out three, he, he obviously was moving voters. And that's really what you want. That's what the game is. You know, it's really what you want to do is, is move voters. What is it that moves them? Um, in Minnesota, in Shorewood, the city of Shorewood, our candidate there, for mayor got almost 35% of the vote, which is respectable by any any shake of the stick. Um, and Larry Stanley, who is our state chair in, Was- in Washington state, um, got nearly 21% in his legislative district. So um, I think we're looking at really good numbers in, in down ballot. And what it tells me as a political scientist, as a strategist, that um, no surprise, is that that's really where we should be putting our attention is is meeting people where they are and that is, you know, in their hometowns, in their in their, uh, their workplaces, uh, in their schools in the places that really matter close to home, whereas the presidency, you know, people view that completely different. It's it's a different animal, so to speak. So I think looking back at what we did uh, down ballot, I think we did exceptionally. Well, I mean, overall, between our presidential numbers and our um, local numbers, we did nine, almost ninety-five thousand votes as a party, which is which is a significant number—ninety-five thousand people. Now, did we win any races? No, but this is our first year, and you know we're just getting our feet wet and all these things. But I also look at we doubled. So we can compare apples to apples because Rocky ran in twenty sixteen, and we doubled the number of votes that Rocky got in 2016 and we were on five less states than he was wow. in 2016. So we obviously were, were moving voters and, and we really didn't have the resources to get our message out. Like you would, like we would want, I mean, all of our energy went into just getting on the ballot because the obstacles there were, you know, it was like rowing a boat across a hurricane. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm pretty pleased, and I think there's a lot of, lot of reason for hope and, and, and to keep moving forward with what we saw happen.
0: So it did uh, the states that Rocky ran and uh, that he was on the ballot, how many states did he end up uh, being on the ballot in? To? We were on in 15 states. 15 states, okay. Yeah. We right. got
3: the 62,000 votes in those 15, which is about a tenth of a
0: percent
1: considering the challenges of even getting there, I think that's fairly respectable.
3: I, th- I think so as well.
0: Yeah. You talked about ballot access. I'm, I'm kind of jumping ahead here a little bit, I know. But um, is it too early to start working on ballot access now? I mean, it's, it's not even a week after the election in 2022. Uh, uh, I mean, the election in 2020. I'm looking at 2022 right now. Um, I just checked, you know, for as an example, I'm in Missouri. I checked Missouri's numbers or Missouri's laws and found out that, hey, we can actually start, uh, we can actually submit petitions now for 2022. We've got basically a year and a half to get uh, 10,000 minimum signatures to get the Alliance Party on the ballot. Is it too early to start thinking about that kind of stuff at this point?
3: In every state, that would be different. You know, like what you're talking about in Missouri. Some states, you know, really can't do much. Other states, um, have to do things this year because it says that they they have to register as a as a a legal party in odd numbered years. So so you know, as a national program, we have to look at each state and go like, where are the ones that we're going to want to um, really focus on getting uh, ballot access, getting candidates. And you know, as a campaign professional, you know. The next cycle begins the day after the other one ended. Um, and, you know, people laugh and they joke about that. But uh, uh, I've seen many times where the next morning I'm meeting with my new candidate that I'm working with for the next uh, session. But so so it's never too early. Uh, unless, because even if you can't do anything, you want to start building those things that will help you do it. So you, you really it's never too early. I guess that's basically the bottom line.
1: I think especially considering. Uh, you know it's tempting to think of the election cycle as four years because that's when the presidential election cycle is but when you think about local uh, races you think about the 2022 congressional midterms you know there's always a political race going on so <laughs> it might seem yeah. odd maybe to the to the not professionally political but you really can't take a break on this kind of thing it's it's a cycle that's constantly going and there are elections big and small fairly regularly. So you need to have the groundwork laid. And if you don't start early, you can bet your opponents are probably going to start early. So why take the chance?
3: And then you have states like uh, New Jersey and Virginia, which are jumping right into, you know, starting today, you know, a couple of days ago, the uh, gubernatorial races and the state legislature races began in New Jersey. So, you know, the, those are, those are two major, uh, Races and said so that will be going on in two states. Mo- you know, most of the others won't have a lot of big things going on. We'll be focusing on, on building the party and preparing. But there, we have two states where where we're going to want to really turn our attention and go. Let you know what can we, we do there? Because in New Jersey, the, the way that you gain ballot access is you have to gain a certain percentage of votes in in total, amongst all of your state legislative candidates. So. This, oh, interesting. So if, we, so if we want to become ballot access in New Jersey, this is the year that we have to do that. So this is, you know, every state, you got to look at what is it that we have to do. And while I'm talking about other states, it, um, you know, some of the things that come out of the of the election without even talking about uh, votes is, is uh, uh, you know, we, we now have a ballot access state in uh, Mississippi that we didn't have before. The Alliance Party of Mississippi has ballot access. Um, we we have a new affiliate in Rhode Island because of the work we did to get ballot access. Um, same thing with uh, Delaware. We had the merger with the American Delta Party um, that brings to us a ballot access uh, state in Delaware. Um, help me out here, Mike. I'm, seems like I'm forgetting somebody. Um, but, but but you know there there's there's lots of other things that went on with expanding what it is that we're doing as a true alliance across the nation, um, with other parties that came out of this, not just raw votes. Yeah, it's a movement, l- not just an election.
0: How long does this ballot access uh, last? Like say in Mississippi, because again I keep going back to Missouri because that's what I know. I've read the laws, but. Uh, here you have, once you get ballot access, you're good for two election cycles. Um, yeah,
3: Missouri is one of the hardest, Mm -hmm. uh, as you know, (laughs) um, where I am in Virginia is really hard too. Um, Mississippi, as as long as we maintain officers, um, and, and, uh, keep those up to date with the secretary of state, we will have, we will maintain that ballot access. Oh, nice. And in uh, Delaware, we have to maintain a certain number of registered voters
1: maintain ballot access. Hmm. Well, this might be a bit high level. um, And if it is, we can certainly steer the discussion in another direction. But I would love to know with all these options, uh, local, legislative, mayoral, gubernatorial, presidential, how have our results in this election cycle informed the Alliance Party's macro strategy going forward? Have we learned that, well, since we didn't Really, returns with Rocky that we want to double down on going presidential, or is it more about focusing on local races and ballot access? What did we? What lessons did we take away from this about our like higher level strategy about how we increase our uh, our stake in the national election, our our percentage of that pie?
3: Well, that, that's actually a very good question, and that's actually the the reason why you run a presidential uh, candidate. You know, before. Before the whole introduction of the idea of running a presidential candidate, we weren't, that really wasn't our game plan. That wasn't what we were looking at. What we're looking to do is to build a grassroots fundamental organization in each state where we're running, you know, we're running school board candidates, um, you know, environmental conservation departments, um, county supervisors, and stuff like that, Be, being in, you know, meeting people where they are. And, and what we learned here is you know, that that actually is the way to build. Because so too often you see some of the larger third parties, you know, they, they show up every four years, and, and then they disappear. And that's not who we want to be. We want to use what we did in, in the four-year cycle to build. Because I mean, one of the things in, in states where we're on the ballot is every single person that voted saw the Alliance Party in that state. On the ballot line, and you know you can't pay for that kind of advertisement to be in the hand of everybody, whether they notice it not. But we did notice people that our website and 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 people joining. You can tell when people were receiving their mail-in ballots because we were just getting a flood of people um, to our Facebook, you know, because they were seeing it and they were like, "Oh, wow, what is that?" And now we have to take that and and uh, especially in the places where people have heard of it and have seen it, and be in the local places. Um, for instance, you know, you know Fred, the grocery store owner. And, and when people go, you know, I've known Fred all my life and, you know, now he's the local town Alliance party chairperson. Wow, I should probably listen. I've known Fred a long time. He's a good guy. I probably should find out, you know, what does he know that I don't know? And that's really how polit- politics is supposed to work. You know, when they say politics is local, but that's really, you know, that's really um, you know, sometimes, you know, where a stop sign is placed in your town is is more important to you than than something that the president of the United States or Congress is doing that really isn't going to affect you.
1: the example is uh, politicians that don't fill in the potholes in their streets.
3: Correct.
1: <laughs> At least that's how it used to be in Philadelphia. Like,
3: yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, the most charismatic platform in the world, but <laughs> every time. Every time somebody drives on their on their road to work and just, oh, that guy, oh, he's, yeah, he's exactly. that freaking pothole yet. Arr. You're done. <laughs> but, but when
3: you can show people that you can be a leader or, or govern at a lesser level, they're more inclined to, you know, let's say I've run and I'm on the county board of supervisors. And I'm there for four years and I'm doing a good job. Well, now, you know, now if I decide to run for, you know, maybe state legislature, I've kind of got a name. I've got a base. I've got, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, that's great. And, and, and it's almost like, you know, some people in, this, in, the, in the political world will call it creating yourself your minor leagues, that you're training people to work their way up to a higher office, rather than just take somebody who says, yeah, I want to run for Congress, but really doesn't have a real background or the connections to really pull that off. Mm-hmm.
0: That's a good
1: point. Yeah, it's a, a longer term strategy, but I and, think. It's... And that's the
3: Lions party. It's a long term strategy.
0: Well, yep. uh, along those lines, I have a quick question too. I mean, there are already people out there that have built up their reputations, um, you know, in, in the disillusion. I'm talking about the disillusioned people out of the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. Uh, do we ever hear of any of them? With, uh, I hear of a few exceptions, but do we ever hear of any of them like jumping ship and wanting to join a third party, uh, such as the Alliance Party? Or have we ever approached anybody for that?
3: That will usually come down to there areas of agreement um know, <clears throat> even even a centrist party is going to have to fall on on all of their policies into one of those two categories that i mentioned collectivism versus individualism and you know you can't avoid there's nothing in between so every every policy that a centrist party comes up with is going to fit into one of those two pigeonholes mm-hmm. so a lot of that will will come down to you know, where, where are you on that? And then there's the things where, where, um, how much flexibility is there in, in a manifest, which, which is one of the things that we preach is that, you know, you know, first and foremost, a a platform should be between a candidate and, and their constituency, but we have these guardrails that is what makes us an alliance. So, I mean, that has a lot to do with when people go to the website and that's why the manifest is right on the the front page and that's that's our number one thing that people look at when they go to the website is to manifest them and that is what is it that you believe you know you gotta have a vision for america you know if 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 you know if i want the alliance party to be our ruling party what does america look like and somebody just to jump ship from where they are will say well where i am isn't where i want it to look like is this what i want it to look like Mm -hmm. it's almost like a cafeteria type of thing that you get to pick and choose is that so so sometimes we get we get centrist democrats and centrist republicans interested because they're where they are because they really didn't fit in and, and they're they're still looking and and that that's really I think the people that look towards us are the ones who weren't necessarily uh, I died in the wall Republican or a Democrat, but there really was only two choices. They had to pick one. So that, that's kind of the people so it's hard to say. I guess that's the bottom. It's, it's, it's hard to say where people
2: come from. I think also uh, for the people that have more of a name in those two parties, that they would want to connect with a party that is probably a little more established in length of time than us.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, we formed in January 4th, 2019, and the way we built this party and our building, this party is just amazing. Um, to come to the point we are today after this election and our candidate with our candidates um, to do that in a year and a half, no other party in America, third party in America has ever done that in hmm. such a short time. Hmm. So I think given another year or so, we'll see more uh, people with the big name Democrat and Republican who are fed up with their party uh, come and give us a good look and talk to us.
0: Yeah, that's a good point there that, you know, that I guess what you're saying, Tim, is that we have to have some sort of a reputation, some sort of have to have established ourselves fairly well. And if I put that together with what you just said, Mike, is that, well, we have kind of come a long ways in a very short period of time. So yeah, I would think we would look pretty tempting after a while, but another, another year, I guess, at least to solidify what we've been able to do and build upon that is perhaps what's needed in order to start attracting some of these other people.
2: Yeah, I think Tim can speak more to what the Green Party, how they started out and the uh, other Constitution Party and uh, the other party, how long it took them to actually get going because they've been around for quite a few years now. And uh, we've done more in the first year or two than they did. And I think Tim can speak to that.
3: Yeah, the, the Green Party had not run a presidential candidate for they were around for Uh, a number of years, nearly a decade, I believe, before they even got to the point where they were nominating at that level. And the Libertarian Party, uh, in their second year, they had run, I think it was, uh, they were in two, maybe three states for their first election. So the fact that we were on on 15 during COVID-19, I always have to throw that in there, (laughs) um, uh, as opposed to the Libertarian Party, which is considered like the the ultimate in third parties, <laughs> right mm-hmm. now um, we're we're you know we're
1: decades ahead of them.
0: Wow, It's got to keep it going then.
1: Right, you know, longevity uh, is the name of the game, and uh, and I think we touched on this uh, last show as well. I think people like a winner. I think the more success the party has, and being able to show that we can put candidates in office, the more attractive we look to. People who have already been in office or may have recently left office that want to get back in there
3: right no, nobody wants to be part of a think tank you know you, you have to go you have to be elected to govern and and you know being electable um is the key yeah without without that i mean it's it's nobody nobody wants to, you, know, you know, even people that make donations to campaigns they want you know they want to know that their money is going to a good cause they may not necessarily have to see a win, but they have to see a good challenge.
0: Mm-hmm. So what do well, I think? Oh, oh good. No. Sorry. Well, I was gonna say, what do you think other than just running candidates? What other ways are there to build up party awareness over the next year or two? Cause there's not going to be, uh, well, Greg, I think you pointed out, there's going to be, there's always some sort of a race going on, but nothing really high profile until That's- 2022. So what do we do in the meantime?
3: Well, I think it's all going to be based on visibility as, as we look to build a party and, and not necessarily the legalities that the state requires, because that may, that may require having the infrastructure that's able to get those 10,000 signatures. You know, you, you may need that infrastructure first because right. you can operate as a pack and, and do the same things, but the visibility of having, you know, having a, a local committee in every Every, uh, you start with, you know, our goal is to start with every congressional district, you know, and then work into being in every town, in every city. And then, you know, just be visible. You know, when you have your founder's day, you have a table and you're handed out things. Hey, here's what the the Alliance Party thinks we ought to be talking about. Here's what the Alliance Party thinks we should be doing. Um, You know, sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, the Alliance Party has adopted this highway Mm -hmm. in, in in a small town. And you know, because they're community-minded, they're they're part of the community. When you're just running presidential candidates, you're just kind of like, oh yeah, it's them. But you got to become part of the local communities, and and that's when people start saying, hey, you know what, you know, these guys seem pretty cool. You know, maybe I'll go to one the of their meeting, or I went to their spaghetti dinner, or I you know I went to, you know, they're they're writing letters to the editor, and you know we got this really bad guy on the school board. But the Alliance party seems to have the answers to what this guy is saying. Maybe we should be listening and it's visibility. And, and, and that's really what we need to do at this point. And we and what running a presidential candidate did was allow us to, uh, get some name recognition of some sort and a little bit of credibility, because one of the things that, that people can, you know, if they put in the Alliance party, they're going to be brought to Wikipedia. They're, they're going to see us ranked, you know, high amongst the parties of who was on the ballot in, you know, it's like, you know, we look real, hmm. you know, and, 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 you know, people go like, wow, this, this really is a party. And, you know, maybe we should be looking at wh- what they have going on. And that gives us 2021 to start really, you know, doing that soon. Because outside of Congress in 2022, there's a lot of local races in 2022 as well. Um, so we we need to, but we can't run those until we first build an infrastructure. And that's really has to be our, number one priority of having that, that bottom up structure Mm -hmm. of, of, um, you know, you have a bunch, you know, rather than have a state chair who's trying to do state business well the state chair initially is really a local, a a local guy. Mm -hmm. And you start building your local town, your local city, and then, and then you start adding towns and cities to that. And that's the way we'll really start to, to spread in, and and people have to learn. It, it's really, we become teachers and mentors of the American public, is really first and foremost of what we'd be.
0: Well, you mentioned spaghetti dinners. As long as I'm not the one that actually has to make the spaghetti, because I think we would lose a lot of people then. But um, other than that, I'm, I'm on board. I'm on board.
1: <laughs> and then uh, I, I want to, I eventually want to transition to the, the national results as they happened. But I think uh, our discussion in the last show begs. we bring this up as well. How much of this is not just focusing on candidates and party infrastructure but also structural reform of the local systems we're operating in to uh, kind of break down some of the barriers whether it's ballot access or how votes are allocated. Um, There are opportunities for things like gerrymandering reform and uh, transferable votes, uh, open primaries, top four primaries, you know, these are things that we can also pursue and are not candidate based, um, but how does our strategy play into that? To what degree of focus do we give to that, Mike and Tim?
3: Well, those are very important. And then those are the types of issues that we need to be visible on, uh, at, you know, at the smallest of levels, gerrymandering is very, fairly local. you know, state legislatures usually use that. We you know, we need to be involved. And what we need to do is piggyback with organizations that are doing this, you know, like fair vote and stuff like that. I, I think we need to be advocates of things like ranked choice voting, which encourages, you know, every vote cast counts for something. Um, and, and but that takes some, you know, training of the American public too to understand, you know, the importance of doing it. But one of the real important things about ranked choice voting is, you know, if I'm running for office, I I can't just speak to my base and motivate them because that may not be enough. Because I need the second place votes too, so now I have to expand what audience I'm talking to. Because I also need the support of people who wouldn't be where I wouldn't be their first choice. So that changes how I operate as a candidate and and what my platform is. Because just winning in my base isn't going to cut it anymore. So ranked choice voting changes things, you know, in a, in a major way of just how we operate. We have to get money out of politics. There's got to be limits there's got to be um you know lots of people have different answers to it but we need to have a strategy of, of we have to get polit- money out of politics and one of the problems with the money in politics though, is through the years of what i've seen um you know i've been doing this since the 80s showing my age now but um what you see is that one of the reasons why it costs so much to run for office which forces people to have to run to get money which makes them servants of the people giving them the money is people, the general population doesn't do their job. They, and what I mean by that is people running for, nobody knows anything about the people running for office. So the people running for office are forced to pay to get in front of them. They have to pay for advertising. They have to pay for signs. They have to you know on all these things that cost money, you know, social media, all these things that um, they have to do, to get into the faces of people is what drives up the price and and they don't have the money for that so they have to get they have to get investors and now the investors have a stake in that because they're investors so so we can't just say the problem lies with the corporations that are buying our politics a lot of it is the responsibility of the people shouldn't need to have that much money spent to find out who I should vote for
0: How do you do that though? I mean, it's there's there's we're kind of stuck in this. What's it? Yeah,
3: Uh, yeah, it's exactly it. That's and that's where we have got to become teachers and mentors because you know, without you you can't have a democratic republic without people's participation, it's just not possible. And that's what we have now. So, what happened is somebody else is participating instead of us.
1: No, just that's someone else is participating instead of us. I I really like that. Because oftentimes you'll hear, especially younger people or disillusioned older voters, like, oh, it's all the same, doesn't matter, I'm not gonna vote, or uh, who cares if this person gets in versus if this other person gets in. You might think it's fine for you not to participate. And if you're really not into it and I can't convince you to be into it, then that's, I guess, your decision. But someone else is participating, and that someone else could have very different views than you about the direction our country should go in or, or, the outcomes of specific issues that you care about so you're really refusing to participate at your own peril
0: but also yeah. th- if i may interject you to tim's point um how are our politicians currently um encouraging people to participate other than you know like perhaps it could be argued that trump went in and just kind of destroyed everything and that got a lot of participation out there <laughs> thanks to him in 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 some way but um, you know, I have to speak about my local uh, representative here. Uh, she never runs town halls. She never has a good outreach program <clears throat> other than just you know, get on my mailing list and, and get my newsletters. And, and to be fair, uh, it's Ann Wagner is my, my local representative. She does answer my emails, or at least her staff answers my emails when I occasionally send her emails. But that is so removed. It, it's it's really hard To uh, to to Greg's point, it's really you get this attitude like, well, things are going to happen this way anyways. Why should I participate? And I don't even have I don't even know how to participate because my the politicians aren't setting up any sort of a forum for me to tell them what I think.
3: Well, a lot of that is we're so far and so deep into that system that you know cleaning it up is is an arduous task. and, and where we need to begin. And this is, you know, one of the main tenants of the Alliance party is we need different kinds of politicians. We need people that are in it for different reasons. We need people who like, if the law doesn't term limit you, you'll term limit yourself just because you know that, you know, you know, power corrupts mm-hmm. and humans can't avoid that. I know the nicest people in the world um, power corrupts and, um, when people, when, when you have people getting into it for the right reasons and, you know, but then you get, you know, you know, you always say we don't get good presidents because good people don't want the job. Yeah. <laughs> so it's as simple as that. And we need, and that's what we need to change. We need to change, uh, um, how politics is done and you have to start with the people who are doing the politics and you have to start with a different type of politician at the smallest of levels. You know, you need to have people who are who are running for mayor because they really care about their city, not because they're thinking about, well, if I do this, I could be a senator in 15 years or 20 years now. Um, and they're and they're not going to take money. Now, that goes back to you can't get elected without that money. That's people have to take some of the burden and start saying, you know, what maybe we should go to the local um, debate between the two mayoral candidates and decide which one we want instead of let them try to pay their way into our living room mm-hmm. but you know this is a major tenet of the alliance party is it begins with a different type of candidate. I've worked for many candidates and many of them get in there for the right reasons and then it becomes re-election time yeah and then everything becomes about re-election. And that's all they're focused on. And the entire term in office becomes, what groups can I get support from that will pay for me to get reelected again? And governing goes away. It, the whole game becomes about reelection. And that's where we need to make the changes of different type of politician. That's where term limits comes in. No, you're, you're not gonna do this for a living. You're gonna go back and live under the laws you made.
1: I think it's an interesting transition to national politics because I, I don't know that any certainly national politician has quite reflected the idea of your entire term being about reelection than President Trump, who has spent most of his time, it seems, at least in public life, running rallies to justify his, his second term. Uh, and as we alluded to at the top of the podcast, doesn't seem to have served him well. President or uh, Vice President Biden is uh uh, I don't know if all the states have certified it, but it certainly much of the media is now calling it for him. and looks, pending a few recounts, like he will be the next president of the United States. Was Trump a bridge too far? Um, the Republican Party in general seems to have done well. There is record turnout on both sides, but he came up slightly short.
2: I think uh, Trump had the same type of message or feeling he put out at first when he was first running, as did Ross Perot, that things needed to change, he needed to drain the swamp, but little did his voters know that he was the swamp and uh, brought a bunch of people in that just made it wider and deeper. Uh, And of course we saw how many got convicted of crimes and that's, I don't think that's over yet. Uh, But I think his message to all those people that were voted for him was you need, we want change. That's what the voters thought. We're fed up with the way the two parties are treating us. They don't answer to our needs. And we hear rhetoric from them, only when they want to get elected. And when they are elected, it's about as Tim says, gathering more money support so they can get reelected. It's a broken system and it needs to be changed. And if we take a look at Senator McConnell, when he uh, first got elected to the Senate, he was the poorest member of the Senate and now he's the richest. And if you look at the state that he serves, they get more money to it than through programs and direct funds than any other state in the union. So that's his value to his state and why he gets reelected is because he brings home the bacon. And a, that's just another thing that needs to be changed.
0: Well, you've got to be a little bit careful with that though, because I believe that McConnell's wife uh, got a fairly large inheritance. Uh, she has, obviously she's Chinese and she has a, uh, fairly good connection and her parents i guess were fairly well connected in china so i think a lot of his money actually came uh through the inheritance uh perhaps some of it obviously came or some of it perhaps came through his political connections here but uh we do have to be a little bit careful about you know making sure the record is straight on that one
3: but the problem of trump is way bigger and deeper than trump though i mean i think the biggest problem with donald trump is is that he accurately reflects 48% of the american population and you know we like to say oh Trump is no good and everybody wants to get rid of him but i i don't think that's true at all i think he accurately represents 48% of the population and and, and, and i think in order to heal this country we have to we have to look at what causes that i mean um, you know, this country was founded on on hatred, bigotry, and racism, and it, it it gets pushed down every now and then. And then Trump comes in and and makes it cool. <laughs> Just no better way of putting it. And everybody's like, "Hey, we can do this now." And um, you know, they were scared to death to do that under Obama, and that's kind of one of the reasons why they became extremists for for Trump. But until we address hatred, and and I mean, I, I mean, when you when when you look at um, the, the hatred that it comes from the Christian community. I mean, if we can't turn to the Christian community for love, we're, we're, we're in trouble. And, and, you know, so there's that whole sector is, is based on, on racism, bigotry and hate. And Trump was just their flag bearer. So without Trump, you still have 48% of the population that still believes that.
0: Yeah. But it's also, I, I think the system that, that helped Trump get into power was, this really gets back to um, the uh, primaries, right? So when you have a primary system the way it's currently built, uh, you can be out perhaps for good reasons, but perhaps for not such good reasons. Uh, and so, you know, as I recall, Trump was on the stage with, like, 15 or 16 other Republicans when they first got into their primary. And so he worked his way through that whole system. Um, I believe a lot of that is just based on the way we run our primaries. Uh, who gets the vote first? Iowa, right? Well, and that sets the stage for subsequent uh, primaries that get voted. And so by the time it comes around to other states like California or Missouri or something like that, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion who's going to win. And so you don't get fair representation. You get you get the radicals uh, that are more motivated, perhaps within the party that that put people like this in charge. So you know the the um, more centrist people like uh, John Kasich or someone like that, who they just get uh, they just get pushed aside. And these are the guys that really I think had the um, the wherewithal to do a good job, but it just because of the, the way we set up our primaries in this country is just fundamentally flawed I believe
1: I agree well those interests just couldn't come up with a, a knockout blow on him I think he started out with you know not not terribly much more than any of the other 16 candidates he had a sizable base of support and it it grew it grew gradually the the less radical candidates just could not I don't know whether it was a an issue of messaging or an issue of political divisions within the rest of the party but it seemed like Trump was able to solidify and expand his base much much faster than any competing candidate so when it came time for those votes. He didn't necessarily have to win the majority of Republicans to stay in and grow his position within that race, he just had to win the plurality. Yeah. So, uh there's that issue. And then I think the, the, at least in my opinion, more troubling issue that after he started to gain that power, a lot of his former opponents decided to get along to go along and, and wound up reversing their positions on him and denouncing their previous rhetoric, calling him what he was and now going and becoming some of his uh, most ardent supporters, Rubio and, uh, Graham and Lindsey Graham come to mind. Um, Ted Cruz comes to mind. The entire party got behind him. I think that can't be ignored.
3: Yeah, absolutely. You're right. And, and they were totally opposed to him. And, and a lot of that is politics is so much driven by passion. And Trump was able to really fuel that passion and get people excited and whipped into frenzies even. And uh, people really didn't want to go up against that.
1: When you think about his impeachment trial um uh, it wouldn't have taken many republican defectors to have gotten a full trial or potentially even convicted him but there were very few willing to take that political risk because it it would have meant the end of their re- careers as republicans which i think says a lot about the state of that party
3: and, and that speaks to the issue of of how bad the concept of you know party comes first and 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 that's probably that's a lot of the problem with where we are is is you know everything is about protecting your party and you know it's like you know to the detriment of the country we will support our party's candidate
2: yeah it reminds me of the governor's scene from blazing saddles when the governor says we have to protect our phony baloney
0: jobs (laughs) yeah Yeah. that's true Uh... exactly
1: So where does that leave us then? You know, are, are Republicans and Democrats so equally out of touch with the other half of America that, that there's no bridging that gap? I mean, I think functionally, whichever party wants to actually govern is going to have to address that question. I, I don't see a way around it. And certainly Biden's rhetoric with his, uh, his victory speech last night sounds like he wants to be the president that can do that. Will his party come along with it? It's a great question. Mm
0: -hmm. And morally,
1: I I think there's a question to be asked of considering some of the policies that Trump put forward and his party and his supporters went along with, is meeting him in the middle correct and good for the country? Maybe the the compromise isn't in the middle, in other words.
3: My son son called me uh, soon after they had called Pennsylvania uh, he was all excited, and uh, he was like, you know, hey, Dad. You he know, well, I think um, the response to that is now it's time to work on replacing Biden. <laughs> this was a twofold thing. The first part was to get rid of Trump, and and now we have to realize that Biden isn't the answer. Mm-hmm. He was just an an- the only answer. He was just, he was to is the question of getting rid of Trump. Now yeah. now, what's the next step? Um, he wasn't the answer. He was only the answer
0: to getting rid of Trump. Yeah. Well, it's it to to kind of preview the upcoming storm here, there was, uh, and it's been talked about on CNN already today, I watched uh, Jake Tapper's uh, State of the Union just before we started recording this here, and he cited a New York Times article uh, that, that appeared yesterday, and it was an interview with um, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and she left major hints within this article about the turmoil in the Democratic Party—it's—it's it's a classic, you know, progressive wing versus the conservative wing of the party. And she claimed that the party uses the popularity of the left of the left wing and gets their grassroots excited and everything, and the party itself essentially winks at them from a distance. But um, after getting their candidates elected, the party keeps the progressive wing at arm's length and strays back toward the center. And so, to me, that's that's an indication of what's uh what's the turmoil within the democratic party and and the problems that biden's going to face over the next four years how does he how does he play both sides how does he play to keep the left happy and also keep the center happy
3: i'm not sure he has a desire to do either i mean that's really not how politics works in america um winning re-election is really the only goal right yeah doesn't matter what you know um and and what he'll feel is he can do that at the expense of the left-wing part of the um the party um it comes down to what i was what i was saying earlier about um i think it was before we were on even that you know we're trying to take at least four different ideologies and squeeze it into two pigeonholes and you know the, the republicans have two completely different Parties within there, and the Democrats have two completely different parties within there, and and that's not going to last forever. Those four, you know, and and you know they're they're going to learn that a two-party system doesn't work because it's going to destroy them, because you can't force four distinctive ideologies into two choices, and that just isn't going to work. And um, maybe during Biden's years, this will become more, more prevalent for his reelection that, that the the left inside the democratic party is the up and coming. It's the youngsters. It's Mm -hmm. the passion. It's the, it's not the money yet, but um, you know, they have to realize that that's what it is. And the Republicans are going to have to realize, you know, that, that their extremes is a little over the top and, and the, you know, the, you know, Mitt Romney is not the same kind of a Republican as Donald Trump is. Right. They're two completely different animals within the same party. They really shouldn't be. John Kasich is another example. Those guys really don't fit into what people traditionally think of as, as the, the new modern
0: GOP. But that's, that's, agree. that's an interesting observation because we had Lee Drutman, uh, on this show, uh, earlier this year. And he talked about, it. he wrote this book called the doom loop, but he, uh, cited an example like in the 1950s. He said that's exactly the way it was. The Republicans had basically two parties within themselves, and so did the Democrats. Uh, But they started sorting themselves, uh, I guess it was right after the Civil Rights Movement and going into the 60s and 70s and 80s. uh, They sorted themselves into two, into a homogeneous party among themselves, but then two separate parties between the Democrats and Republicans. But prior to that, he said that you know the the more moderate Republicans had no problem walking across the aisle, talking to the more moderate uh, Democrats and vice versa. So um, this kind of a, I, I guess it was stable at one point. I don't know. You know, I'm not sure. Other than perhaps discontent with the civil rights and the proverbial Southern strategy, that kind of ruined that to some degree. I don't know. I'm not a political well, historian, but closing thought for me would be the. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. You you wouldn't think those four political ideologies could fit into two choices, but there was sort of a third choice for the Democrats and the Republicans, and that was for the centrists to work together on some kind of policy and split their uh, split their more extreme wings. I think the really interesting development is that they don't have that option anymore. Yeah. Or at least they don't feel that they have that option anymore. Obviously, it still exists, but they're they're unwilling to choose it. Uh, And I think that's kind of been the the change that has made uh, this feel like more of an untenable situation, whereas in the past you could have these groups who had differences, but could come together for outcomes. And now it's the ideologies that are sort of driving it, but the centrists don't want to 100% go along with it, but they can't be seen as reaching across the aisle to uh, the other side because the other side has been demonized.
0: Well, they've been hollowed out the the uh yeah that too out, there's, there's
1: less of them <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah and, and the, the thing the, for the alliance party in this because uh, i mean it, it'd be easy for people to just go well this is just the way it's going to be we you know mom and dad can't get along and they're going to fight all the time and we're just going to have to live with it um but i think the alliance party is going to have to play the role of the marriage counselor i think we because everybody everybody should be should be working for everybody and we need to have a you know a country where it can work for everybody, where it doesn't have to be left or right, it can just be forward, and we should be able to. Uh, I see the role of the Alliance Party is to is to is to using that expression that you know sometimes you know nobody owns the, the right answer. Um, you know, sometimes it's a, it comes from the left wing, sometimes it comes from the right wing, sometimes it's a combination of the two, and I think our role is to is to be able to say yeah because what happens is whoever wins represents their group you know all the democrats are excited now because we're going to get everything we want well now the republicans are upset because they're not the same as the democrats felt when trump was in and all we do is keep flip-flopping who's unhappy what we've got to do is get to the point where can't we come up with solutions that even if it doesn't make everybody happy it makes everybody at least accept it yeah and we we have to get we have to start using using our intellect as humans to be able to find a way to find a solution that isn't left or right, but it's just correct. Yep. Well said, Tim. Yeah. Thank
0: you. Yeah. I've, uh, and and to Greg's point, Greg actually had to drop off. He had another obligation here. So it's just the three of us right now, but, um, to his parting thought about this, um, and I think, Tim, you just reinforced it yourself there. Um, but it, it's, I, I keep coming back to the primaries. It, it, to me, it just becomes, that's the problematic area. That's that's where the hollowing out, I believe, took place of all the moderates. Uh, I think any party, uh, whether it's the Alliance Party or the Democrats, Republicans, Reform Party, whatever, they're going to have different wings. They're going to have, you know, differences of opinion. That's just human nature. But they have to be reconcilable within the own, within its own party and if each party begins to sort itself through you know the, the primary process or whatever process it is you're left with these extremes that that um, that are that embrace ideology over good governance. It's unfortunate. Yeah, I was um, I just just building on I i, I know I mentioned AOC on on CNN's uh, State of the Union address with Jake Tapper and I was um, I was going to further mention this is that she started to give an answer I thought was going to be good, uh, but she went back to her uh, sort of partisan uh, rhetoric, and she was asked by by Tapper by Jake Tapper uh, whether she would be willing to work on her progressive agenda with Republican members of the Senate, because that's going to be necessary if the Republicans uh, retain control of the Senate. And to which uh, Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez replied that uh, she will work hard to ensure that both of the upcoming Senate races in Georgia swing toward the Democrats so that she doesn't have to work with the Republicans in the Senate. And I just... I just threw up my arms and said, well, you know, it, I, I'm tempted to quote Kurt Vonnegut and say, and so it goes, you know, this is, it's, it's not going to get, it's not going to get solved this way.
3: Well, part of the problem goes back to what you were saying about our primary system. You know, she lives in, in a place where the primary decides who's going to be go to Congress. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not a competitive seat. So basically the whole battle is over, is over the, overwinning the, the, the primary. So so basically her whole battle just becomes between the the left and the neoliberals amongst the, the Democrats. She doesn't even care about the Republicans because they're they're just not they're not significant in her world. So so now she only sees her role as changing the Democratic Party. She's not even thinking past I need to take over the Democratic Party. I need. We need to change and become a progressive party. She, you know, she lives in a world where she's not. She's not representing Republicans because their, their numbers are so so small. And and this happens across the country, where, um, where, you know, on both sides, that because the seat is so non-competitive for gerrymandering or for whatever the reason that the primary decides who is going to go. So the infighting. Is, becomes bigger than having to compromise with the with the other party. Yeah. And and you know it's like we, it, basically I think what we've identified is almost every piece of the system we have is broken <laughs> and it's yeah. kind of work.
0: Yeah. Well speaking of broken systems, I this is a good question for you Mike. Um the uh in 2016 uh, the polling companies said, you know, there was no problem. Clinton was going to win. They, she had a clinch. There was, you know, it was a foregone conclusion. Eh, wrong, right? And so, you know, here comes twenty twenty. The polling companies say, "Well, we fixed all of our, and you know, we tweaked our system. We, 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 you know, we're we're more confident in our numbers this time." And it was just as wrong. So now, you know, as far as I, as far as I can tell, we're flying blind in terms of getting a good pulse on the people. Because uh, I guess at some point politicians were over-reliant upon polling, at least insofar as their campaigns were concerned, and they're probably using it to keep up with what uh, their constituents want. I don't know for sure. Um, Do you have any ideas how the Alliance Party, uh, moving into the future, uh, will keep the pulse on America, on our constituents?
2: Well, asking for feedback is one. The other is paying if you're going to pay attention to polls, pay attention to the in state polls and not the national one. Mm -hmm. Because the in state polls were more accurate. Um, But to get a pulse on a community, you have to be there and be asking those questions of what's your top four issues that you believe you need to see put forth and worked on. Mm -hmm. And then ask the question, who do you think will be best, um, the best person in office to help make those a reality.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And we have to do that with our own party members and those we bring in, um, to find out what the pulse of our own party is,
0: yeah. So it's just uh, shoe leather, I guess. In other words, we have to you know, meet and greet, talk to the yeah. people. Yeah,
3: There's so much of it has to do with the methodology of the polls. Uh, the polls are done for varying various reasons. Mike touched on uh, a national poll. Yeah, both t- both national polls were dead on. Hillary Clinton did win the national popular vote. Yeah. yeah. Biden did win the national by what, but you, what you have to do is you have to be polling individual States to see how the electoral votes are going to go. And, and that's kind of not what happens. I mean, sometimes polling is done, done for fundraising purposes. I know as the campaign manager, sometimes, you know, you, you, you do polling for the purpose of oh it's really close. You need to send us $3. Um, you know, polling is done for lots of different reasons by lots yeah. of different people. Um, there's certain scientific ones um, to really get a good pulse on. Uh, and it's called voter profiling and it's called baseline. And, and what it is, it, it's, it's very expensive, but it's extremely scientific and extremely accurate. And um, Maine, there was one in Maine. I can't think of the name of it offhand that I had uh, was able to get my hands onto. And it was dead on.
0: Hmm. I
3: mean, you would, it was, you'd think it was written after the election. They, 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 because they, what they did is they, they profiled voters and, and what it'll do is it'll go like, you know, if the election was held today, who would you vote for? And then they'll start saying, it's like, well, if we told you this and this and this and then and go go knowing this information, what does it do? And what it does is it tells you what moves voters and when you can predict what moves motors, uh, voters, you can predict how they'll vote and just a poll to ask, Who do you you think is going to win or who are you going to vote for? It goes back to that win or lose mentality of a two-party system. That's just not scientific and it's not accurate. And then it depends on who you're asking. What is your audience that you're asking? So you have to be careful with polls. You have to really know who's doing it and what is the methodology. Great. Hmm.
0: Well, to that end too, you got to be careful how you use them. I mean how how you interpret them, I suppose because uh, you know when I say that 538 is polling um, you know the state of Mississippi at XYZ uh, yeah I think I think they were close in a lot of states but um, I think they obviously missed it in some states as well. so
3: well, they're an example of the ones that are saying that that are not a scientific poll. Mm-hmm. They would give what I would call like a commercial poll. That would not be one that I would go. Ooh, I want, I wonder what five thirty eight thinks. No, I'm not even going to that site.
0: So oh, uh, huh. Okay,
3: but I mean, some of the things they use, they 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 use, uh, uh, you know, Survey Monkey, and you know, if you look at the things there, that, that what they're doing, and it's just, it's just not. You know, how how did you choose who you're going to? If you're going to choose 500 voters, and and you can get an accurate read on an entire state with 500 voters, or an entire district if you choose the right 500 people yeah and you know doing a survey monkey on your website doesn't do you
0: anything no no uh, we i mean i i'm i'm on the board the local hoa here where we have like over 500 units and uh we try to do polling once in a while and i i just um i don't put a lot we use survey monkeys well I, I just don't put a lot of stock in it because a lot of people don't go to these websites. They don't know how to use them or they don't have access to email or something like that. So you really get a skewed result. And uh, I would just rather, you know, hold the meetings and talk to people uh, face to face, which is way, you know, that's old school, but it's accurate. And it really gives you an opportunity to talk with the people and find out what they're looking for. And it works. And, And it works. Yeah. Um, so, uh, going to wrap this up pretty soon here, but, um, I guess I'm not sure who to ask, Mike or Tim. I'll just throw it out there. Um, can we, or are we allowed to at this point talk about like a general approach for the next cycle? I mean, we talked about this quite a bit, but, and I'm not really talking about tactics at this point, but just, you know, um, Objectives, you know, uh, Tim. I think you hit upon a few of them. You said, you know, we need to get out there. We need to uh, run you know, the local contests. We need to get to know people. And you cited a whole bunch of uh, methods that can be used to get in touch with people. Are there any overall objectives, so that the that the party itself, from a from a top down perspective? Uh,
3: well, I think I think basically what I, what I touched on is the strategy. We need we need to strengthen our our state affiliate. Program, you know, we need to review. You know, what's working, what's not working, where is it working, what isn't working, um, and how can we make the changes? Um, you know, we have to you know do a review of the whole process. But the basic process is reinforcing. The, the you know the end result will be to reinforce the state affiliate. That's gonna, that you know that has to be our 2021 20, strategy to build mm-hmm. a grassroots organization in states where where you know when you need electors, they're easy to find when when you need uh people to knock on doors they're easy to find when you need people to sign petitions or to go get petitions they're easy to find and we need to you know we could need to create a a state executive board that has a representative in each congressional district in every state where we have an affiliate and each one of those needs to break into into having town representatives so that we're representing the people more accurately in each state so so that would be that would be, and then and then looking at where do we need to compete in in states like I mentioned Virginia and New Jersey, and and the other would be where do we need to work on gaining legal ballot access or or uh, recognition as a state. Uh, you know, we need to look at where to target those things. I think those would be the basic general strategy of what twenty twenty one will look like. Preparing for twenty twenty two, where we want to be a player. In in the in the state, local, and congressional
0: seats. Yeah, yeah,
2: I agree with that, Tim.
0: Hmm. And I know state legislatures are. Uh, I think the Republicans. I'd heard. I haven't verified this by looking it up at all. But the state legislatures, uh, Republicans, seem to have. Uh, held on and actually built up more state legislatures. And some of these states are, you know, super majority Republicans, and it seems to be going more to that direction. So would there be a push toward state, state legislatures as well?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, state legislatures are a harder race. You know, the bigger the race, the harder it is to win. Mm-hmm. But I think I think anytime you have an opportunity to get into a race, we have to uh, seize that opportunity. Because, see, the thing is, is you, you enter a race not necessarily with the objective object of uh winning the race oftentimes the, the what you're looking for is to change the conversation of that race yeah and 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 that that can be very effective
0: okay any thoughts from you mike on that topic
2: yeah i think it's hard for any first-time candidate to win anyway mm-hmm. um so but to build this party in our movement We're going to need candidates at all levels, including state legislatures, where we can get in and fix ballot access laws and uh, other issues that would make it easier for people to vote and for establishing third parties.
0: Wonderful. Well, we've been uh, we've been talking with uh, Mr. Uh, Tim Cotton, who's the uh, Alliance Party National Political Director, and also Michael Berger, who's the National Vice Chair of the Alliance Party. Gentlemen, I want to thank you for joining us on this uh, post-election podcast.
2: Thank you. Yeah, great to be here. Thank you. And I want to
0: also thank uh, uh, Greg for uh, starting off the podcast here. Unfortunately, he had the boogie out of here. Anyways, and thank you everybody for tuning in to the Alliance Party After Dark podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast so that you don't miss any episodes. Each week we'll bring you interesting topics from the Alliance Party. You may subscribe on iTunes, Google, or Spotify. Also, keep in mind that the podcast has a Twitter page at Alliance On Air. And if you have any suggestions for future topics or people we might want to interview in a future podcast, please drop us an email at podcast at All content for this podcast is copyright the Alliance Party. Views expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of the Alliance Party. This podcast is a production of the Alliance Party, a decades-long movement of fiscally conservative, moderate, accountable, and reasoned independents, former Democrats, former Republicans, and alienated voters who demand that our elected officials work in the spirit of nonpartisanship for all constituents and provide a better future for our country. This podcast was made possible by your donations to the Alliance Party. If you'd like to join the Alliance Party, visit our website at theallianceparty.com. Drop in and see what we're all about. And get involved. Volunteer your time, make a donation, submit an article or blog, or run for office. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Dan Schaefer, producer of the Alliance Party After Dark. I'd like to say that uh, have a wonderful evening, Uh, have a great week ahead, and we hope you drop in for our next show. Be safe, be aware, and please take care of yourself and those around you.